Well, we started uh, this series last week that we're going to be in uh, for the next month or so as we hone in on why we do what we do here at Bethany. Yeah. We believe that each of you, all of you um, who call this church their home, should have a clear understanding of what you're a part of, to, to know what makes us us. And not just to know it with this head knowledge, but to, to live it out with your life. You know, as a leadership, we believe that if we're going to reach our full potential as the church, that you all need to know who we are, why we exist, and, and where we're headed. You know, knowledge, as defined in the dictionary, is uh, facts, information, skills that are acquired by a person through experience and education. Each of you have a certain set of skills, a certain set of knowledge, uh, information, and skills that maybe even the person beside you doesn't have. However, how we are learning these, these things, how we are growing in knowledge these days has drastically changed over the last 20 years. Think about it. 30 years ago, if you wanted to be a carpenter, you went to shop class as a kid, didn't you, right? There, I, most schools nowadays don't have a shop class any longer. Or, or you would go find a carpenter that knew how to do it well, and that carpenter would teach you how to, to work with wood. I just read a, a, an article recently of a woman who uh, built her entire 1,500-square-foot house all by watching YouTube tutorial videos. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Uh, want to learn how to play the guitar? Want to learn how to, uh, to play the piano? Yes, you could uh, enlist an instructor. Uh, you could send your child off to lessons and pay for those lessons. Or you could pick up your phone, and with some diligence and perseverance, you could teach yourself through these videos that are available on the Internet. YouTube, informational forums, and the like have allowed me to become part motorcycle mechanic, part chef, part tech guru, and part plumber. They've saved me a lot of money, too, right? A recent article in Forbes magazine on today's online learning um, content, and then how that content is shaping uh, schools today, said this. It said, today's children are extremely savvy. They, they grow up in a world where information is always just a button away. Buttons. Soon, not even buttons will be needed. With things like Windows 10, they'll just simply say, hey, Cortana, or we can say, hey, Siri, and we'll be met with the greatest librarian, not a personal assistant, somebody that will deliver content on command. Yet the article went on to explain that while the knowledge is constantly and readily at our fingertips, we have forgotten how to, how to think about that knowledge. You know, we as a church especially those who are leaders and teachers, believe we have a huge duty, that we must, uh, that we must provide ways to equip you um, for how God is empowering you. Myself and others have a desire not to just have a bunch of people in a room that have a, a knowledge about God's Bible that may be able to answer the questions with the right answers, we want to teach you to, to think about that knowledge you have. We want you not just to have a head knowledge of who God is, but we want you to have a heart knowledge of him. It's not enough just to have a bunch of people that have all the right answers to those questions in the Bible. It's not enough just to have a bunch of folks that can give the right answer to the Christian religion or faith. You have to truly, to truly know God, to have an intimate and personal relationship with him. And this church wants to be a place, a place that's, that's helping people come, come to know God. 
You know, it's our purpose here at Bethany to exalt Jesus Christ as Savior so that every person will know God, live free, find purpose, and be a difference maker. This morning, I, I want to look at what it means to know God. I want to look at a few stories as we do that, because knowing God is, is not about information. Knowing God is about our aspiration. You know, um, I, 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 I began thinking about what's this look like? How do, how do I know God? I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search the web. Right? We just talked about how the web's changing our knowledge today. So I went to Google and I typed in how to know God. I was met with 1.23 billion responses on how to know God. You can fill yourself with an endless array of knowledge and still not know God because knowing God is not about information. Knowing God is about our, our aspiration. It's about our ambition. It's about what we thirst for what we hunger after, what we're seeking after. So as we look through this uh, this morning, I want you guys to turn over to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Um, it's found on page 890. We're going to look at a couple stories in the book of Acts uh, this morning, but we're going to look first at the story of an Ethiopian man. It's on page 890, like I said, verse 26. It starts saying, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Let's just stop there for a moment. Can I tell you this? God wants all people, all people, to come to know him. How do we know that? First Timothy lays it out pretty clearly. It says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But as well, this story represents that to us. The Ethiopian and Ethiopia itself marks a massive stride forward in the great go. We, we talked about the great go last week, remember? Right? The, the good commission, right? To go and make disciples of all nations. Let's just say in most all of the ancient writings in that time period, Ethiopia was talked of as a land far, far away. Actually, Homer in his uh, um, writings on Poseidon said that uh, Ethiopia was at the end of the world, at the world's end. It's no question that the Ethiopians were, were Gentiles. The term Gentile means one that was not of the Jewish faith, right? Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. But Jesus didn't and still does not just want former Jews to be saved. His death on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, opened up a covenant for all men to come to know God. The Ethiopian just happened to be one of the first. Not to mention, he was a eunuch. Now, I don't want to get too gruesome and detailed on this, uh, but let's just say this. It was a common practice in that day for a man who served under a high-ranking uh, female official to be emasculated. Like, he was singing soprano in the choir, all right? Um, let's, let's end it there with that. Um, I know some of you guys are like going, ha, ah, right? <laughs> yeah. But as, as well, this, this shows again this desire for God to come to know all people because the Jewish faith... Uh, would not have allowed somebody who was disfigured like the Ethiopian was to be a part of the assembly of the Lord. Everything about this story speaks to the idea of God opening the promise for, for all mankind, 
to come to know God. So let me start there with you all. Some of you are in this room, and, and you just don't think you are good enough. You, you don't think that, that God could truly love you. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. That could be no farther from the truth. Don't feed yourself that lie. God wants to come to know you, and he wants you to come to know him. You're not too messed up. You're not too broken. You're not too addicted. You've not done enough to outrun God's grace. God sent his son Jesus for you. I love how Paul says it in Romans 8, uh, verses 38 and 39. For I'm convinced, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the Ethiopian would have, would have uh, uh, never known that if he hadn't had the ambition, right? If he hadn't had the, the thirst to know God. To be honest, I'm not quite sure why this high-ranking official was so interested in the Jewish faith, a faith that he was already disqualified for. Now, some might uh, contribute it to this like, innate desire of mankind to want to come to know God. But I believe at some point, you have to decide. At some point, man and woman has to decide what they are going to aspire after, what they are going to search after. How are they going to come to know God? Ethiopia was a long way from Jerusalem. We're talking at least a 45-day-plus type of journey via chariot. Some scholars say it could have taken up to 65 to 70 days to get to Jerusalem one way, right? I mean, this guy had spent resources. He had spent time. He he had given a lot to get to Jerusalem. And once there in Jerusalem, what did it say for the end of verse 27? This man had gone to Jerusalem to, to worship You want to know God? Ask yourself what you thirst after. Ask yourself what you're you're searching after. What what are the things that you're looking for? You look for a good time? Do you thirst for more money? Uh, Do you want want a huge house? What about, about, is it comfortability? Some of us just want to be comfortable. Is it contentment? Do you thirst for just getting through the day? You see, we have to have a thirst to know God. Now, some of you in this room are doubters. You're skeptics. Can I tell you this? I'm glad you're here because that shows me that you have a thirst for those answers. Whether or not you fully want to admit it, your being in here is the opportunity for God to bring about answers to those questions that you have. And it's good. So let me tell you this. Take the next step. Like, take the next step to ask those questions. For some of you, maybe taking the next step is just literally like, I'm going to commit to being here. Like, you're like, well, I come every once in a while, and, you know, I kind of give them a shot. Maybe you just need to say, I'm going to come to as many things as I possibly can. I'm going to put myself in this place as much as I can so that I can see to it that these questions I have are asked, and I find answers to them. Maybe you, you hear us Sunday after Sunday say, hey, if you, you want to give your life to the Lord or if you've got questions about what that looks like, you can come see us over here by the baptistry, but you're always like, I'm not doing that. Maybe you need to do that today. Or maybe you just need to come grab one of the ministers outside of uh, this room while we stand over in the commons later in service or stop by, swing by the office um, throughout the week. We want you to ask those questions. 
We want to help you search and find those answers because we know God has the answers to the questions that you are asking. Verse 28 continues on uh, saying this. And on his way home, he was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, right? So the, the eunuch is on his way home. He's gotten this, uh, this scroll, likely. He's reading this scroll, and it says, The Spirit told Philip, um, Philip is a believer, to go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading the Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You see, when you have an appetite for finding God, he feeds you a smorgasbord. Your thirst to know God will be satisfied by Jesus. Psalm 34, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he, he answered me. God's in the business of answering us when we seek after him. Isn't it awesome to know that, that God meets us where we're at when we start looking for him? I mean, the Ethiopian could not have been in a better passage of Scripture. This passage in Isaiah is one of the most well-known prophecies of Jesus and what would take place. God had a divine inspiration for the Ethiopian's aspiration. This passage uh, was, was exactly what led Philip to be able to, to just pour out and open the door to share who Jesus was. And when you know Jesus, you know God. And Jesus said it just like that in John chapter 8, verse 19. If you knew me you would know my father also. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You see, when you know Jesus, you know God. The Ethiopian's thirst for God led him to this passage of Scripture that God then used Philip to speak truth into and to point the Ethiopian to the Savior. And the story ends with the Ethiopian knowing Jesus and knowing God. Listen to what it says in verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did, did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You know, I love this story of the Ethiopian. Like, I, I love how it speaks of, of who God is and how he meets us in our pursuits of the beginning of the good news spreading out into all the world, of a man who had questions, but a man who also put an appetite to those questions, like that he was searching after those answers, and God quenched that thirst that he had, and God brought fulfillment to that appetite. Did you catch how it ended? He went on his way rejoicing. That term translated rejoicing in the Greek is a term that can be said Cairo, which means uh, and can be translated as to be well and thrive. He went on his way thriving, you could say. Thrive in our language can be defined as to progress towards a goal. 
Jesus was everything the Ethiopian needed. And the hunger and thirst continued to be met when he walked away rejoicing Cairo. He had progress as he thrived forward every single day searching after Jesus. You see, I love this story because it's oftentimes our stories. Like many of you in this room, you've come to know Christ. Like you remember the day you gave your life to the Lord in, in a baptistry maybe like this one. You, you've, you've come to church regularly and consistently. And you, you are, you're saying, I still had questions though. Right? The questions don't stop after we get baptized. We still have wonders. There's still a discovery about God that happens. That's that thriving idea that we're constantly progressing forward, coming to know who Jesus is more and more with each day. Because if you don't have that type of mentality, then you fall into another camp. There, there's another story, just a chapter over in Acts chapter 9. It's a story of a man by the name of Saul. I always find it interesting that these two stories are butted up so closely to one another because they couldn't describe two very, I mean, any more different people, right? The, the Ethiopian eunuch was an outcast who was not able um, to find his way into the Jewish faith. Saul, on the other hand, was a fanatic. Saul had all the credentials. Saul had all the reasons. Saul had all the answers, you could say. Saul was held in high esteem by all the Jewish leaders. The Ethiopian thought he could not come to know God, and he came to know him through Jesus. Saul thought he knew God, yet he didn't know Jesus. The Ethiopian had a thirst that led him to Jesus. Saul just simply had a disgust for Jesus. You see, Saul thought he knew God. That he knew God so well, so well that he should persecute the people that were saying Jesus was God. And that's what he's doing when he goes down and he's on his way to a, a city called Damascus. There's one thing you can't fault Saul for. Dude's passionate about what he believes. The only problem is he doesn't believe the right thing. So God decides to step in. This is Acts 9, chapter uh, chapter 9, verses 3 and 5. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from a different version, so if you're following along. He set off, and when he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell down to the ground, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? He said, who are you, master? I am Jesus, the one you are hunting down. I like this paraphrase of scripture for that term, hunting down. Saul was hunting down Jesus and the people that believed Jesus instead of hunting for Jesus. Instead of seeking out a more full understanding of who Jesus was, he thought he was faithfully serving God by sitting there and, and persecuting others. I wonder how many of us fall in this type of trap, thinking we know God, thinking that we have a full understanding, thinking that it's our way or the highway, thinking these things instead of pursuing God. We stop thirsting to know God. Yes, when you come to know Jesus, you begin the journey of knowing God. But knowing Jesus is not a one-time decision. Like Knowing Jesus isn't raise your hand, say this prayer, you're good, go out and live the way you want to live. Knowing Jesus doesn't, doesn't end in the baptistry, it just starts there. It's the beginning steps of coming to know God more fully. You see, we still have to be searching after something. So what is it are we, that we're searching after? Our way or God's way? Knowing we're right or knowing the right way in God's eyes? The baptistry is just the beginning. 
Jesus tells us that following him takes a daily hunger. That's what Luke 9, verse 23 says. I think this is probably the most convicting passage of Scripture for a follower of Christ. It's Jesus speaking, and it says, He said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross. Right? The cross was a symbol of torture, and that day a symbol of death. You must take up your cross daily and follow me. Like The, the decision to know God is a daily decision to constantly seek after Him and to follow Him. Knowing God is a daily decision. You might know the rest of Saul's story. He's blind for three days. Actually, it tells us that why he was blind, he didn't eat or drink anything, which I, I find interesting, right? So he denies himself of this physical hunger and thirst because dude hadn't been physically hungering and thirsting after God. And then after three days, he, his vision's restored and his mission is renewed. And Saul is just like totally on fire for seeking after God. And, and Saul goes, goes from town to town, and he, uh, he begins to tell people about who Jesus is. Paul's status has changed. Uh, Paul's mindset has changed. Have you caught it? He's no longer Saul. He's Paul now. His name has changed. His day, to cha- day had changed. His purpose has changed. His influence has changed. His friendships have changed. Everything about Paul's life seems to be going in a different direction when he starts to seek after knowing God. Years later... The message of Christ and this desire to know God leads him to be, be in prison. Here he is, uh, chained up for what he believes, chained up for this desire. And, and Paul recounts the old Paul. He recounts Saul. And he tells you, man, I had every reason to have confidence in my flesh. Did all the right things. I was, uh, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means he was the best of the best in the Jewish faith. He, he, he says, I, I had it all, all together. And then it goes like this in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. But wherever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. Being found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in death. So somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, knowing God isn't about a destination. It's about our exploration. Faith is not about finding the end point. Faith is not about getting to a place and saying, okay, I can retire now. Knowing God is not about, uh, about a place where we say, all right, I'm good. I don't need to do anything. You catch what's going on here, right? Paul's is in prison. Paul has experienced suffering. Paul has experienced suffering because of this desire to know Christ. And here he is writing this letter and he says, I want to know Christ. Wait, time out. Don't you know Christ, Paul? Paul, didn't you you already know him? Haven't you experienced suffering in the name of Jesus? That's what's so powerful about the statement. Paul's saying, yes, I have, but there's still more to, to know. Maybe the Google search wasn't so far off after all. Maybe in some sense or another, coming to know God is an endless journey of daily discovery about who he is and what he has for your life. You see, knowing God isn't a process. 
Knowing God doesn't start at point A and you go do these things, do these things, and then when you get to point Z, you're done. It doesn't work like that. Knowing God is not like a baseball diamond, as some have said, where you run to first, you run around it, go to second, come down to third, and then make your way, way home. See, a process always leads us to some sort of destination. And I think oftentimes we as Christians think that that's what's going to happen. We're going to run, we're going to run, and we're going to finally reach the destination. You see, our only destination is heaven, and none of you in, are in heaven right now, all right? Let's just say, let's just say that, right? We're, we're, we're still in this world, and in the process of being in this world, in the meantime, it's a journey. Every day should be a journey to come to know God more fully. We need to think of this as that type of ongoing journey. We're all in different places in the journey, because knowing God isn't about a destination, it's about our exploration. So what's your next step? What's the next step that you need to take? Maybe for some of you, you're in a similar place to that of the Ethiopian. Like you've been searching for answers. You've not really told anybody that you're actually searching for answers. Maybe you haven't even told yourself you're searching for answers. But like a few weeks ago, somebody invited you here, and you came here, and you were like wide-eyed and you're like, okay, I'm just doing it because so-and-so invited me to be here with them, and I'm just going gonna to play the game. I'm going to go with them. And then they're like, come back with me next week, and so you're back again this week. And you're, you're, like, you're just kind of like going through the motions. Maybe you're here because your wife has like dragged you here, and you're like, you're coming with me, honey. I don't want to go by myself this, this morning. And you, 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 you've not really said it to yourself, but you, you do have questions. You have some questions that you would like to see God answer. Maybe some of you are, are, are saying, yeah, I come here just to get the guilt off of my back. Like, Grandma always took me to church as a kid, and if Grandma knew I wasn't going to church, man, she would be upset at me, so I'm not going to feel guilty. Grandma, I'm at church today, all right? I make it at least 40 of the 52 weeks of the year. I'm a pretty good Christian, I think. You see, I think we oftentimes have these questions, and we just need to admit to ourselves, I, I want to ask those questions. Can I tell you this? Jesus is the only place you're ever going to find answers to those questions. You're not going to find them in the bottle. You're not going to find them in, in, in the things this world will give to you. You're not going to find them in, in, uh, in, in philosophy or in a, uh, a conversation with Joe at the water cooler. You're going to find them in Jesus. And we want this place to be a place where people are coming to know Jesus. So maybe like the Ethiopian this morning, you just need to be saying, what's hindering me? from taking the first step, giving my life over to the Lord, being baptized, and coming to, more, to follow him every single day of my life. Maybe for you, though, you've thought for a long time, well, I'm, that, I'm in a good place. Like, I go to church fairly consistently. I pray before meals. I recognize there's a God. I think I've reached the place I need to be at. You might be a person that, that shares their credentials Right? You know these, these type of people. There are people out there like that. Maybe you're that person, right? You're like, somebody asks you why they should believe, and you're like, let me tell you, I, I do this. I went to this Sunday school class. I went to this evangelism course. Like, I'm the one you want to ask those questions to. I've, I've got it all together. I know Jesus. You're the person that thinks, well, if more people were like me, this would be a better place. Right? Nobody wants to admit that they're that person. But I would say there's probably more of us in this room than we would like to admit. Maybe your next step is just simply to renew your faith. Like, do you remember what it was like the day you gave your life to the Lord? Do you remember what it was like when you, when you were baptized or when you first really, truly understood Jesus? Jesus died for me. That was God's son. He lived a perfect life. He died for me. And then you had that, like, fire 
in you? You had that passion just like welled up in you. You wanted to know more. You were like reading your Bible and studying it. You, everything you could put yourself into to gain more knowledge, but you were in a relationship with God. And then sometime through the years, like what happens, right? We just kind of like the fire kind of seems to dwindle down and like maybe there's just a few little embers now. You're just good with just being like going through the motions. Man, renew that fire. Have that thirst again. Start that, that hunger. Can I tell you this? You all know we've been telling you about uh, planning a church in Vincennes. Um, it's going to take all of you. Like some of you have thought this maybe in your mind. Maybe you've even said it out loud. You're like, I'm, I'm past the stage of helping out in the children's ministry. I paid my dues. I don't have to do that anymore. Can I tell you this? No, you haven't. Like, we need you. We need you. They're going to need to be more volunteers in this place and, and servants in this place. They're going to be, need to be servants in Vincennes. We're going to need people that are stepping to the plate and saying, nope, that season's not over. And I know there's an opportunity for me to help the kingdom and help more people come to know Christ by serving in that type of capacity. Some of you are saying, I'm too busy to commit to something like that. I'm saying, no, your priorities are off. You need to reset your priorities. For some of you saying, I'm older and there are younger folks that have more energy and more spunk about them. Can I tell you this? We need your wisdom. We need your experience. We need your encouragement. For some of you are saying, I'm comfortable. Like, look, you don't buy a new couch to be uncomfortable, do you? You buy a couch to be comfortable. We like to be comfortable, don't we? We, we don't want to sit in, in hard chairs on Sunday morning. If we change these out for old plastic chairs, you guys would be like, man, my, my rear's sore. I don't want to sit here, right? We don't like to be uncomfortable. The truth is, sometimes knowing God makes us uncomfortable. And there's some uncomfortableness about the, the next steps that we have in planning a church in Vincennes. Look, leadership, elders, staff members, we can't plant a church in Vincennes that makes the difference that we believe God has called us to do. To help people know God Live free, find purpose, and be difference makers. But, but with your help, with each and every one of you finding a place, using your gifts, and continuing to seek after knowing God, man, we can do some powerful things for the kingdom. We want to be a part of that together with you. Because together we hope this place is a place of people coming to know God, who have an aspiration, who have a thirst, who have a desire to explore what the God of the universe wants us to know and what he wants us to do in his name. Story goes that on December 11th of 1979, Mother Teresa uh, went to Norway. Um, she went to Norway dressed in her normal, like, blue attire, white, like, white trimmed. Uh, she had her sandals on. It was below um, freezing in Norway at that time. And uh, she was accepting one of the uh, uh, probably highest worldly esteems that somebody can, the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, Mother Teresa was just a single woman that went to Calcutta in 1948, and man, she has become a beacon uh, of love uh, through, through her years. And so she's delivering this message in this acceptance speech uh, for the Nobel Peace Prize, and this is what she said. It's not enough for us to say, I love God, but I don't love my neighbor. She said, since in dying on the cross, God had made himself the hungry one, the naked one, and the homeless one. Jesus hunger." she said, is what you and I must find. We must find a, a hunger for Jesus. This place should be a place full of people coming to know God. And to know God means you have a hunger for him. It means you have a thirst for him. It means that you have an aspiration for him. 
means that you are exploring daily what it means to be a more full follower of Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uh, preaches one of his um, greatest sermons. And uh, verse 6 has always stuck out to me. Because this is the idea. If we have that Jesus hunger, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. You start searching. You start looking. You start going after God. And he's going to meet you. And he's going to satisfy you. And it's going to be a heck of a ride. We're going to love it. I'm excited about what God's doing in and through each and every one of you. I'm excited about the journey ahead of us continuing to know God more fully. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much. Thank you for for these folks. Thank you for many of them, them who have represented what it means to constantly seek after you. And they've showed me that through their actions and hearts and personalities. But God, truth is, I know that sometimes we all slip up in this area. We stop asking the questions. We start... We, st- we stop striving after, thriving after things. We just kind of get, get okay with stuff. God, I, I want to I know you. I want these folks to know you in a better way than they knew you yesterday. And tomorrow, I want them to know you in a better way than they know you today. I want every day to be a day that we progress forward in who you are. And God, I know there's folks in this room that, that they've got a lot of questions. They've never trusted you as the answer to those questions. And God, I, I want to be there for them. I want them to know it's all right to have questions and doubts. Uh, you want to bring answers to those questions. So you want to help them not to have those doubts any longer. So God, I pray that they'd be willing to, to talk with us. And they'd be willing to open up. That they'd be willing to commit to continue to come to this place um, so that, God, you can bring answers to their questions. God, we love you. We're thankful for who you are. We're saying all this in Christ's name.